First Peter chapter four is where we want to be for this morning. Let me pray over this text and just ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth, that it's living and active. Lord, that it sees right through us. God, I thank you that you can cut right to the core of what's going on in our lives. And so, Lord, I, would, I just ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, both individually as we hear from you, as we see things in your word and, and as your spirit speaks. But, God, I pray also collectively as a church to have a unifying effect as we submit to you and, and what you have said. God, we are recognizing more and more every day that the church needs to be salty. God, that we need to be so bright, shining in light. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just show us what these things mean that we see in your word and how it draws us out of lethargy. Lord, there's going to be a natural lethargy um, following a season like what we've been through. And God, I pray that you would awaken us, that you would awaken us and quicken our spirit. God, to respond uh, to the issues that we see in our world today. Lord, to riots in our streets, to, to areas of cities nearby being cordoned off and, and called their own nation, so to speak. Lord, it's such a weird time. God, there's so much craziness going on, and in the midst of it, people are hurting. Sin is destroying lives. And Lord, you are the answer for that. Help us to find balance in this season. Help us to have hearts that are submitted to what you are doing and not to be distracted, Lord, by the craziness in the world around us. Jesus, we just ask that we would look to you because you are the author and finisher of our faith. Strengthen our walk in you. Use your word this morning to set us on the right path. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus, in the midst of the upper room discourse, is talking to his disciples, and he is giving them this last bit of instruction, Judas having left the room already. Judas was there participating in John 13 as, as Jesus washed his disciples' feet and gave this, them this example of being a servant and of taking care of one another. But after Judas exits the room, Jesus gives this amazing discourse, John chapter 13 all the way through 17. And I encourage you to read it and to, to read it often because there's so much great instruction for the church there. There's so much great instruction for us and encouragement for us in, in what Jesus has to say. But in John 15, Jesus is speaking to the disciples privately, and we know that this is the night that he's going to be betrayed. He says this in verses 17 through 20. This is what I command you. Love one another. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I read that to give context, but what I really wanted to call our attention to is Jesus' command. We know this from reading the Gospels. Love one another. Love one another. But you love one another. The world will do this. The world will do that. But what defines the church, what makes them identifiable, is that we love one another. That we show love to people. Persecution is often the promise that we were given by the Lord that we don't like to talk about. You know, if you watch a sermon online or you watch something, the snippet that they're talking about is very rarely saying, and guess what? God promised you some things. He promised you persecution. Amen. You know, people are like, ah, I don't want to amen that. You know, like that's, and, and it's not something we're like, yay, persecution. But we are told to rejoice and be glad. 
He says, rejoice and be glad. Peter talks about it, and not in our text for this morning, but he says, rejoice and be glad in that you share in Christ's sufferings. That's a good thing because it means that the world is treating you the same way that they treated your Lord, which means that you are true image bearers. You are walking in the way that he walks. And so we are saved by grace through faith in him. That's a promise. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's a promise. And God will complete the good work in us that he has begun on the day of Christ Jesus. That's another promise. And there are lots of other ones. But the problem is, is I think that oftentimes when we experience what we are currently going through and going to go through, we all know that the world is not going to continue to get better. The world is going to get more desperate. It's going to get more sickened the more that they turn away from God. And we want to see revival come. But we know as we look towards the end times that things are going to go downward before the king returns. We know that things are going to get more difficult before Jesus comes back. And so when we look at these times coming, a lot of times the church is like, oh, oh, we're having a hard time like dealing with what's going on. It's like, hold on a second. Recognize it for what it is. See it for what it is. Because if we operate as the church in this season, if we love one another, if we prioritize love and compassion and kindness and the gospel and the truth of God's word, we are going to cause the world to stand up and take notice. This is something that's been going on in my heart for, for many months now before COVID came was, was something that we want to be unique as a church in that our commonality is not based on hobby. We aren't together. We aren't here as a church because we all share the same hobbies or we're all the same age or we're all the same, you know, interest level. We're all North Idahoans. It's not, it's not that what it is. What gives us commonality is Jesus. And that is unique to the church that people can come from all walks of life in all different places and come together under the leadership of Christ. The world takes notice of that. Wait, you're hanging out with this person. That's weird. They're like, yeah, but we both love Jesus. And that gives us unity. Loving Christ gives us unity. And so this is what we need to be in this season. The world doesn't stand up and take notice when the church of God is being joyful and gracious in really easy times. That doesn't cause the world to sit up and take notice. The world notices when the church in the midst of a world that has gone crazy with fear and hate unifies, comes together and loves one another, graciously obeying the command of Jesus when he said, but you love one another. That will cause people to take notice. That will preach the gospel through words and deeds in a way that will shock the world around us. These are the days that we need to come together in this spirit of unity. Just like John instructed us in 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Don't just talk about it. Back it up. This is not a season for just talking about it. Boy, isn't it interesting right now how, I don't know how many of you guys are regular on social media, but how much social media is pressing us to say something. And if you don't say something on social media, it invalidates you. Now I have the benefit of recording a lot of things. So I'm like, just go listen to things I teach. It's easy, you know, for me. And I, I, I try not to get on social media as much as possible. I feel like it just, just sucks all the life and time right out of me. But here's the thing. Lots of people say things. Lots of people right now are saying things just to feel better about themselves. Lots of people are saying things right now to validate their opinions. But let me tell you something. When the church ceases to be those who just love in word and speech, but they start loving in action and truth, that will be a shock to the system of the world when we actually live it out.
And here's the thing. Let's not talk about it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. If people ask you, we can talk about it, but I think there's too much talk. Let's just do this. Let's just love people. Let's get involved. Let's get in the community. Let's start having an impact. That's what we're here to do. That's what God called us here to do. Let there be substance to our love in these times that we were made for. And I, and I didn't make a mistake when I said that. You and I were made for this time. We were created and placed here according to God's plan. It's no coincidence that we're here right now. My sister used to say she was born in the wrong decade. She always wanted to live in like an older time. She's like, I was so meant to be in an older time. Like, no, you weren't. You were meant to be right here, right now. It was no accident. God wasn't like, whoops, wrong generation. No, this is, this is it. This is our generation. You're like, but it's so full of problems. That's why we're here. That's why we're here to deal with these things, to be gospel centric people in a world that's literally tearing itself apart right now. That's why we're here. So first Peter chapter four, we're going to pick up in verse seven. This is my encouragement with all that in perspective. This is my encouragement for us this morning. Let's read first Peter four, seven. We'll just kind of go through this as we go. Peter says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7. This is interesting, you guys. How often have we heard that the end is near? That the end times are coming or the end is near. I don't know about you guys. When I was in Bible college, I remember several times when I was in college, Chuck Smith would send out a thing and go, it's coming. It's now any minute. And he'd like call this emergency Bible study. We all be sitting there watching, you know, like, okay, it's it. We're going to get raptured tonight, you know? And you know, here I am. I don't want to admit this, but 20 years later, here I am. Peter was saying the end was near back in his time, back in his day. Peter saw contemporary events as the beginning of the end. We should have, we should have had a heightened awareness in 2019. I don't know about you guys, but I'm up to 11 right now. <laughs> Everything is going like, okay, I'm really aware right now that the world is kind of going crazy. I mean, it's, it's being put in our face constantly. Here in 2020, it's being screamed through the headlines. The end is near. And you're like, well, Peter was saying it. I mean, does that necessarily? Yes, we should, as a church, always have our eyes forward looking towards that, looking towards the return of Christ. It should be our ever-present mindset. It should change the focus of what we're doing day to day. It should give us reason for what we're doing day to day. If Peter thought time was short, how much more or how much more on alert ought we to be? If Peter thought it was coming, if he's like, the end is near, but notice this, this is great. He didn't tell you to store up barrels of food, right? He didn't tell you to go stockpile toilet paper. You know, I don't even know what the situation toilet paper wise was back then. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure. I've seen Roman toilets. I've sat in one for a photo op that was great in Israel. But like, I'll tell you this, I'm pretty sure Peter wasn't like, whatever it is that you need to clean up with, get a lot of it. The end is near, Right. I mean, it, you, you watch it on the news. I never realized that I would see this in person. We were in Costco when they rolled the pallets out a couple months ago, and they hadn't had it for a while. People were running, running down like, are you kidding me? Come on, dude. This one dude, like, I mean, hair back. 
just he's gonna get that TP. I'm like, dude, this guy's been holding it in for like a month. He's like, finally. They should put honey buckets out in the parking lot or something. <laughs> so here's the thing, you guys. I digress. None of that's in the notes. I apologize. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> what does Peter tell us to be sober-minded and alert for? When he says the end is near, he gives the description of to what we should do because it's near. Look at it. Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. For prayer. Stay awake. Be clear-headed so that you can pray. How many of us are turning off the TV and turning to prayer? How many of us are shutting off our phones and going to prayer? We are to be alert and sober-minded to seek for the face of God in this time, to seek for his will, to draw, steadily draw upon God in prayer. Christians find the help they need there to love each other and to overlook offensive things. That's where we find the strength to be the church. If you are struggling with flesh, prayer is the answer. Seeking after God in prayer. In the privacy of our hearts and our homes, church, we need minds that think straight and we need hearts that pray straight. We need minds that think straight and hearts that pray straight. Prayer is the fuel line from Christ's heart to ours. It pours his love and forgiveness for others into our hearts. And if you're struggling with loving, if you're struggling with forgiving, if you're struggling with different aspects of our current world, I suggest prayer. I don't suggest a sedative. I suggest sober-mindedness. I don't suggest more caffeine. I suggest alertness in prayer. (laughs) Like maybe caffeine will help. Maybe too much caffeine will make it worse. But, but here's the thing. We are looking for supplements in so many ways to help us cope. Prayer is our coping mechanism. It's our direct access line to God. It's our, di- our dialogue with him. It's our way to connect with him and to draw upon his strength. And so Peter says, we need to be people who steadily draw our strength in prayer. Be sober-minded, be alert. He continues verse 8 and he says this, Above all, Maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Notice what prayer equips us then to do. It prioritizes being filled with the love of God, and then it allows us to be the church. Peter goes for Proverbs ten twelve here. Hatred stirs up conflict. But love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up conflicts. Love covers all offenses. Why don't we plaster that all over Instagram for a while? When we put that all over the web, here's the problem. Hatred's just going to stir up more conflict and there's going to be more bloodshed. But love will cover all offenses. See, the church has to be the tip of this spear because we understand the love of Christ because we understand the love of Jesus, because we've experienced it, and it's active in our lives. How much do we need the love of Christ to cover sin right now, as opposed to hatred that's stirring up conflict? Before we can effectively take this message to the world, we have to experience it together. We have to share it together. Now, Peter's going to give us some really practical ways to do that, and some of us are not going to like those things. I'd like to ask you to... Um, patiently endure and obey with me because sometimes this stuff gets really hard. You know, it's funny. People are like, 
you know, I got saved and I thought things would be easier. <laughs> it's like, who told you that? <laughs> I'm sorry. They lied to you. Jesus is the answer, but life is not going to get easier. You know, and I've had people say that like, oh, just now you're doing it under the Lord's strength. It's like, yeah, but like it, you upped your strength level, but then he upped the struggle. Like it's, 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 you're going to have a heightened a heightened, you know, life of, of sacrifice. And, and there's going to be things that you're going to struggle with that the world doesn't struggle with. They give into those things, but they're flesh and walking in the spirit is a challenge. It's a struggle, but we understand it to be worth it. We understand it to be something that God has called us to. It's okay when we have the Lord on our side, but before we can effectively take our message of love and comfort and joy to the streets, we have to be well-practiced amongst ourselves. We have to be people that are doing that in each other's lives. And Peter shows us what love manifested will look like. He gets super practical, super fast. Above all, he says love. He says love each other because that covers a multitude of sin, right? And then he goes for what? Look at verse 10 or verse 9, excuse me. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. You're like, What? You go for hospitality? Weird, Peter. Not at all. They're interconnected. Practical love is hospitality. Loving each other practically is being hospitable. He says, just as each one has received a gift, verse 10, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. I wonder how differently we would all define the word hospitable. And I'm, we don't have to live room. We actually could in this room do it for a little while. But, but how would we describe hospitable, I wonder, if we actually defined it for ourselves and didn't cheat, you know, and look it up on dictionary.com or whatever, right? The New Living Translation of this passage says this, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Oh, they go right for the throat. <laughs> it's like, I thought I could just give them a sandwich. No, 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 no. It says, open your doors, Open your doors to people. Let people in. Be hospitable means to let people come in. And I do think that they, they capture the essence of this. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times serving the Lord is out there and not in here. You know, this is my space. <laughs> my space died. Just kidding. But like, this is my own personal abode. All you kids are like, what's my space? I'll tell you later. It was, it was a horrible experiment gone wrong. But, but here, here's the thing. You come, you come into my house. You can eat with us. That is the essence of hospitality. And what it is, is love in action. It's loving in deed and in truth, as 1 John 3.18 talks about. For the last three months, that was taken away from us. Think about this. That was taken away from us, church. It was taken away the ability for us to like, well, and, and now we're not going to have a test here. No raising of hands to see how well you all behaved. Okay. I don't want to see hands. I don't want to, I'm, I'm not even going to make eye contact with anybody right now. But here's the thing. Have we made any correlations with restrictions on us being the church connected to what's happening in our country currently? You're like, come on, Mike, riots and hospitality. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. If you don't see the things that are happening as a causality to what happened before, we're just not connecting line of thought here. Now, there's lots of other things, too. You're like, oh, hold on a second. No, I understand. There was lots of other things, too. But do you think that the overreaction that we're seeing from a lot of people, I'm not talking about talking about racism. I'm not talking about being aware of loving one another no matter what our race, and, and it doesn't matter the color of your skin. We're not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the over-the-top explosion of violence. 
explosion of hatred that we're seeing in our world right now. You don't think that's in any way connected with the church having to withdraw in and not being able to love on each other the way that we should. And here's the thing. Maybe this has been coming for a while because we haven't been doing it that well anyway. And I don't want to take you right down Convictionville. You know, like you're like, great, first week back at church and Mike just slaps us. No, 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 no. We need to look at these things in our lives because we have a heightened awareness of it right now. We're ultra sensitive to this right now. And I want to call us out as a church and say, let's open our doors. Let's be hospitable. Let's start taking people in and loving and caring for people. This is going to be part of Christ healing hearts. Is us letting his love pour out through practical means. That's what Peter's talking about here. We need this physical contact with each other. I don't know if you guys realized it, but when you guys started reintroducing human beings into your life, not just the people in your home, but you're like, all right, that's it. Don't tell anyone. We're having a family barbecue. You come in through the back, you stay low, you get under the hedges, you get near the barbecue. I'll hand you a burger, you'll roll under the table and you'll eat it there. Like, think about this. We're like, I'm thinking when we're having our family get together, I'm like, are you serious? We actually have to plan out like being secretive, you know, sneaking in to have a family get together. Here's the crazy thing, you guys. When our home group reassembled, I'm not going to tell you when, but when our home group reassembled, it was like a family reunion. You know, and I put it out in the message. I was like, we're going to have home group. This is technically a church gathering, and the governor has allowed those. I said, I'm, I'm walking the line of the law here, but it seems legit to me. So we're going to have people in. It's a, it's a church gathering. We need to see each other. People are hurting. We need to pray over each other. We need to worship together. And so as people are crazy, okay, now be respectful. Be respectful. Some people want to keep six feet of distance. Some people don't want to high five, give them an elbow tap, whatever it is. If they're cool with hugging, ask them, wear a mask. I don't care. We have masks here. If you want one, no one's wearing one. Praise the Lord. And so like, I, here's the thing. I don't mind at all. It, it's, I want you to be comfortable, but I want you to be in fellowship. But we opened the doors and people came in like ravenous wolves who hadn't eaten in like a year. It was hilarious. I was like, okay, we're going to try and get distance. You know, and everyone's all over each other. And one guy tackled Christian at the door and like jumped on his back and wrapped a leg around. I was like, wow. Apparently, we really need to be around each other. Apparently, people actually do need physical contact and need to be in conversation and pray together. This is essential to us. You guys, within all believers... The Spirit draws us to unity and fellowship in the body. That's why we're told in Hebrews, don't forsake gathering together. You know, and hey, we did online for a while. There was a season where we we were just trying to walk this out in obedience to the governing authorities because that is in Scripture as well. And so there's there's a line there that we have to walk, and it's hard to find balance. And it was crazy watching this happen in our city with pastors on one side and pastors on another side almost bickering with each other about when they were going to open and why they weren't. And well, we're in this camp. We're like, we're not in a camp, guys. We're not in a camp. You want an elbow? Have an elbow. You want a high five? Have a high five. No, you're not going to kiss my cheek. We're not in Israel. Here's the thing. Like, we're just going to keep it. We're just going to keep it to preferring and serving one another. That's how it should be. The reason I feel this is such an important reminder to be hospitable, to be opening our our homes up, um, is because we were designed for this kind of connection. We were created for this kind of connection. I want to challenge you guys, now that we are officially in phase four, I'm so thankful that that moved forward. Now that we're officially in phase four, I want to encourage you guys, have someone over for dinner. Have some people over for dinner. Pray about it and then invite someone over because I got a feeling there are a lot of hurting people right now that, that are not only going through a really rough time with being separated, 
But I want to encourage you guys to do this. Look for people that may want to stay in this state. There's a lot of people that are enjoying being separated that don't want to come back. And they need to. And they need us to come alongside them and walk them back in. Right? Because there's some people like, COVID was a dream come true. I got paid for not working. I got to stay at home in my jammies. I got to watch church instead of interact with people. You know, like they're, they're going on about all these things they loved about it. Introverts were like, whoa, you know, like, yes, finally, something for me, COVID. Now, I'm not making light of something that was a struggle physically for people. We understand that this sickness was legit and, and we had to flatten the curve. I, I understand all that. But I think that a lot of people will use it as an excuse to not re-engage, and we must re-engage. So let's draw people back in together. Those of you who are here at church this morning, you broke through. Good job. Now let's, let's, let's gather people together. Let's be together and have people over for meals. Start doing ministry together. You guys realize I can't minister to this entire church myself. I don't have the ability to. But what I can do is encourage you guys and, and provide whatever venue that you need to be able to meet with people and get together. Because we as the body need to be ministering to each other. That's a healthy body. So get together, eat together, pray together. And I encourage you to do that, by the way. Invite people over and pray with them. That's more awkward. Come on over for dinner. We'll sit around the table. We'll say a quick prayer of our meal, and then we'll talk, and then you can go home. No, like actually take time and pray together with whoever you bring over. It'll be so awkward. It'll be great. The Lord will bless it. So, you guys, the kindness of this world is running out of fuel. It's clear, but we're fueled by the Lord, and we need to strengthen each other because the time is right now for us to be equipped for ministry out there, and we need to get people together to be strengthened in the Lord to do that. Let's take these gifts that God's given us and use them to serve each other. We can't be like the wicked servant. Remember the parable of the talents? The guy that took what the Lord gave him and he buried it in the ground, and then he gives it back to him. Here you go. I knew that you were a hard master and, you know, you know, so I just, I wanted to just hide this away. He's like, you did nothing with what I gave you. God has given us all gifts. He's given us all special spiritual gifts. Are we using them? And look at this. It's a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship issue. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. In other words, God has gifted us each in different ways. And if we're not using it to serve others, it's poor stewardship. We don't want to be accused of being poor stewards. We are not owners. We are stewards. And this stewardship is important. Your gifts were given so that you can serve others with them. Who will you serve with your gifts? Who in your life are you serving with your gifts? You're like, I, I've got a bunch, but that's great. Keep doing it. And then teach others to do the same. Help others identify what their gifts are and, and encourage them to engage people around them with those gifts because your gifts were given so that you might serve. God gave me gifts so that I might serve people. Not glorify self, serve others. Bless others. And Peter reveals two ways our gifts can be implemented to serve each other. It's in word and in action. And so when we read 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, that's saying, let us not love in, in word or speech, but in deed and truth. He's not saying that our words shouldn't be used at all. We just you know, do things without saying anything. No, he's saying that you can't just talk about something. You also must do it. And Peter here is going to call us out and say, we need to do this using our gifts to serve one another in these two ways, in our words and in our actions. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. 
If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I like how Peter just ends that as a prayer, as a charge. He's like, amen. You know, and like maybe the more Pentecostal group, you know, at that time was like, amen. You know. As he talks about doing this in word, Russell Moore said this. This was so great. He said, we want not simply to convey truth claims, but to do so with the northern Galilean accent that makes demons squeal and chains fall. Someday, I hope to write something like that. That's so good. I, I, I was telling my wife about this yesterday. I was like, he said northern Galilean accent. Boy, that just puts a spin on it, doesn't it? He's like, think about this. What you say matters, and how you say it matters. You see, I could stand here and beat this podium and yell all of these words of truth out, and your receptivity to them would go from here to here. It's very hard to receive that. See, what we want is to deliver truth with a Northern Galilean accent. What that means is we want to deliver truth like Jesus does. We want to say it with his heart, with his compassion, with his kindness, with his attitude. And you're like, how do I know? How would I know how Jesus would say it? You know, how would I even know how Jesus like, you know, you ever try and like mimic somebody saying something? It's like I've, I've been I've taught through the, the gospel of John in the past. And I told my students once I was like, listen, it's really hard to know how Jesus said this. And there's only one way that I feel like I can do that. Well, prayer. Being in prayer and letting the Lord flow through me and be like, okay, you have to, the spirit has to condition me to deliver this in the way that it was said with the heart that it was said with. We want not simply to convey truth claims. We want to do it like Jesus and the way Jesus did it made demons scream and run for cover and it made chains fall off and it delivered people from bondage. That's what we want. We don't want to just chuck truth out there. We want to deliver it in a way that's receivable. I remember talking to my dad about this years ago, about quarterbacks. And some quarterbacks would come into the league and they'd throw the football so hard they'd be breaking receivers' hands. You know, like some of these guys just have cannons. I don't know what that's like. My football goes like 10 yards and hits the ground. But there's a difference when you're a receiver to a quarterback who throws super hard, even though it's accurate, and a a quarterback who throws a catchable ball. It's like a receiver-friendly throw has the right touch on it. It's in the right place. It's well thrown. And everyone here is like, I hate football. I don't know why he's using football. Here's the point. Are we delivering truth to people in a way that's receivable? You're like, well, it was on target. Yeah, but you threw it 100 miles an hour, and I was five yards down the field. You know, I, I describe this dynamic to my son sometimes. I'll be running, I'll turn around, and the ball's in my ear. You know, like, okay, you have to, you have to, you know, throw it according to how far away from you I are. You know, I are. Edit. That's right. Hey, I've been practicing at home, but I haven't had a real live audience for a while. Okay, so this is really exciting. I are glad. All right, so the the kindness of Jesus should be revealed not only through the truth we speak, but through the way we speak it. We understand that the way words are spoken can have a part in a heart being open to receive or closed off. So let's deliver truth and love. May we never forget the words of Romans 2, 4, that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. God is kind towards us because he's drawing us to repentance. Our intention in speaking truth is to win our fellow people who are made in the image of God back to their creator. 
I'm not just throwing truth out there to be shown right. I'm not interested in being proven right. I want to win people to the foot of the cross. I want people to see that Jesus is the answer for their own soul's sake. Think of Colossians 4, 6, where Paul writes, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I love that statement. I put it in bold up there. Seasoned with salt. You're like, you ever eaten food that has no salt in it? You know, it's like blandola. I'll be at Kidoba eating a burrito. I'm like, they forgot to put salt in the beans. My wife's like, how can you tell? Like the salt, it's just savory, you know? And like, it's, it just adds something to it. Here's what he's really saying. Our speech shouldn't be gross. Our speech shouldn't be bland. Our speech shouldn't be in a way that is unattractive. Our speech should be flavorful. It should be attractive. It should be winsome. Not saying that you change the message. You don't change the truth. You deliver it in a way that is revealing to the heart and good for the soul. So put that salt in there, baby. We don't change truth. We speak with tact. We do it in action. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. If you're serving through your actions, do it in the strength of the Lord. Do it through the strength that he gives you. My strength has some serious limits. I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally, mentally, all of these things. We have limits when it comes to our strength. If my ability to serve the Lord is based on my own strength, I will fall short of achieving what he put me here to do. I will fall short of achieving what God put me here to do if I'm relying on my own strength to do it. God put me here to rely on his strength to achieve his goals. I don't want to achieve my own goals. I want to achieve his goals, and for that, I need his strength. God's gifts have been given to us, church, and his strength is the only compatible power source for them. You ever have a power source that doesn't work? And you're like, let's plug this. It doesn't, it's not compatible, right? Everyone in the room's like, yeah, I got an Android person in my house, or yeah, I got an Apple person in my house. You know, like these incompatible power supply things. We understand you have to have the right connection, right? God's strength is the right power source for you to do his will. You must rely on his strength. My own strength, your own strength is incompatible with the gifts of God. They are given by him and powered by him. Yet again, we come back to the question, how do I make this real world? How do I make this something that's like, okay, we understand these spiritual concepts. How do I put it into play in the physical, actual world that I'm living in? In reality, here's how you do it. Prayer. Submission and obedience to the word of God. Not just reading it, but living it. Not just talking about a prayer life. Not just saying to somebody, I will pray for you, but actually stopping, putting your phone down, and praying for them. When you are in distress, crying out to the Lord, drawing from his strength, it's going to happen in prayer. Learning reliance on his strength will mean that you and I will be brought to the end of our own. In order to realize that we need God's strength, he brings us to the end of our own. How many of you have recently, in the last three months, reached the end of your own strength? I have. Absolutely. And do you know what's great about it? It's when you recognize that God's strength begins. That God gives you the supply you need. We are there to learn reliance. It's at the end of myself that I learned through experience what Isaiah says in Isaiah 40. And we know this verse, but it's so great. Verses 29 through 31. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths, listen up, you young people, may faint 
may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those, including those young people, who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the strength of God. That's God's ability. When our trust is in the Lord, God is glorified. He's glorified in this world when we rely on his strength to do what he's tasked us to do. When we speak the way God speaks and we rely on the strength he provides, we do it so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything and to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. How desperate are we right now, church, to see God glorified in this world? How desperate are we to see him glorified in what's going on right now? What's happening in our world? That desperation needs to drive us to prayer, to be sober-minded, to be alert in prayer, and then to start opening ourselves up to being part of the cure for this. You're not the cure. I'm not the cure. But what Christ has given us is the answer for all humanity. It's the answer for the broken hearts that we see around us. It's the answer for the struggle and the trial that people are going through. We need to draw from the Lord. We need to make a withdrawal regularly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's seek after his strength for whatever situation we're facing so that we can be built up and effective. This creation that we live in is longing for the return of its maker, is longing for the return of the king. What we're here to do is Give the world a little teaser trailer of what kingdom life looks like. Are we the trailer? Are we showing this world what's coming by the way we're living? Let's do it together. Let's ask the Lord to change our hearts together. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's why you put us here. God, you put us here to be ambassadors for you, and you empowered us by your spirit. Lord, in that same upper room discourse that we started with, Jesus, you encouraged your disciples and said, I have to go, but I'm going to send the comforter. And Lord, as we've studied online the last couple of weeks talking about Pentecost and talking about the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we recognize that, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to even cry out to the Lord on our behalf when we don't have words. And sometimes, Lord, I think that that is a deterrent for us as believers, is that we, we don't even know the words to speak. So, Spirit, would you cry out on our behalf? Would you stir us up? Would you connect us yet again? Lord, we need your strength. I pray over this group of people as we worship, as we spend this time just praising you, God, would you be glorified in us together? We ask it in Jesus' name.